turn this morning to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. If you're not familiar with where that is, it's in the Old Testament. It's a short book, um, and uh, the table of contents may serve you well in finding it. It comes after Zephaniah and before Zechariah, and uh, it's a short little book, so don't miss it as you're, as you're uh, thumbing through there. Um, if you're not familiar with the Bible, maybe uh, you're not used to looking at it, um, this morning um, I will be referring to chapter and verse numbers. The large number in your Bible is the chapter numbers, and the smaller numbers, those are the verse numbers. And so when I, when I refer to verse numbers, that's what I'm referring to is those small numbers. And so if you're not familiar with looking at the Bible, that might serve you well this morning. Haggai chapter 1, we will read that in just a moment. So keep it there, keep it open before you. Henry Ford once said, a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. It makes for haste, and haste makes for waste. We think it is the best way because it works. Every now and again, I wake up in the morning and head towards work with a dozen things I want to do. I know I cannot do them all at once. How do I respond to such a predicament? Well, I go out and trot about the house. While I'm running off this excess energy, the that wants to do too much, my mind clears and I see what can be done and what should be done first. I wonder what makes it to the top of your list this morning. What are your priorities? What takes priority in your life? What consumes your time and your effort and your energy? What are your goals in life or expectations for your family? Do these priorities include God? His work, His people, His mission. We need to take a serious look at our lives and look at our priorities. We need to look at those things we spend the most time with, things like education and work and bank accounts and relationships and family or social status. In this passage this morning, we'll see that God calls His people to turn from their rebellious self-centeredness toward a holistic God-centeredness by placing a priority on His work. In other words, Christians are to line up their priorities with His priorities by pursuing that which brings Him the greatest glory. What are my priorities? And how do I shift my priorities to align with His priorities? Over the next three weeks, we'll spend our time looking at this prophet Haggai. We'll look, with, we'll look at this minor prophet, the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Haggai was a prophet sent to preach to the nation of Israel. If you go to Ezra 5 and 6, there you will see him mentioned in his preaching ministry uh, in connection with the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Why did the temple need to be rebuilt? Well, some years earlier, God had exiled the Israelites from their land because of their disobedience. And God had sent them into exile into Babylon. In 586 B.C., Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. It was utterly destroyed and the temple was burned. The people now spent the next few decades in captivity in Babylon. During their time in captivity, the Persians came in and defeated the Babylonians, ultimately leading to the Israelites' release from captivity. Under the reign of of the Persian king, King Cyrus, the Israelites were allowed to return to rebuild their temple. 
And we see in the historical records in the scriptures that in 536 BC, a large group of Jews, about 50,000, returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The foundation of the new temple was laid soon after their return. However, the project was abandoned, and it was 16 years before they would begin again. It is in this year, in 522, that Darius I took place, and it was during his reign that Haggai preaches to us this morning. Haggai began his message on August 29th in 520, just two years after Darius took power, and it was his message to the people that stirred their hearts to rebuild the temple, to start the work that they had neglected so many years earlier. And we know from Ezra that the project was completed in 516, just four years after they started. In our time this morning with Haggai, we're going to learn three things uh, pertinent to our lives. First, life circumstances make bad or poor excuses for neglecting God. Life circumstances makes poor excuses for neglecting God. Second, misplaced priorities lead to fruitless lives. Misplaced priorities leads to fruitless lives. And third and finally, misplaced priorities must be changed. Priorities must be changed. First, the Lord told them that life circumstances make poor excuses for the neglect of God. In these verses, God works to bring conviction to the hearts of His people for their neglect of the temple. He commissions them to begin rebuilding the temple. But a group of them sought actively to oppose it. Since their return from exile, those 16 years earlier, they have found plenty of other things to keep themselves busy with. Things which did not include the rebuilding of God's temple. Look with me first in verse 1 of Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the, Haggai the prophet, to, Shil- to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. What were their excuses? What was it that kept them from rebuilding the temple? Maybe it was their understanding of Ezekiel and Isaiah's prophecy. Perhaps it was that they were waiting for the Messiah to come, then they would begin to rebuild the temple. Or perhaps they were waiting for the 70 years prophesied by Jeremiah to be fulfilled. Perhaps it was because of the opposition from the Persian leaders that were seeking to distract them from their work. Or maybe it was because of a lack of financial resources. That's what they were complaining about. Whatever their reasons, they found plenty of time and resources to work on their own homes. And the Lord exposes their indifference in verse 4. Look there again with me. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? The Israelites have been going on and on about how now is not the time, Lord. Now is not quite the time to work on your house. But God was exposing their hypocrisy. Did you see it? God, we don't have the resources to build your house right now, but when the time is right, we promise we'll get to it. They may have claimed that they didn't have the resources to rebuild the temple, but their own finely decorated and renovated homes stood as a visible reminder of their indifference towards God. 
Now, to be clear, uh, things were not going well for the Israelites, especially economically. Apparently, the economy of the country was a wreck. They had sown plenty, but had harvested little. Production was down, and inflation was up. But it was in the midst of this deplorable economic downturn that God commands His people to rebuild the temple. But why the temple? Why was God so concerned about this ancient structure? Well, it really wasn't the building in and of itself that God was concerned about, but rather what the building represented. The temple was an, was an essential element to God's covenant with Israel. It demonstrated His commitment to Israel. The temple was a symbol of God's ongoing presence among His people. It served as a continual reminder to the nations around them that He, in fact, was God and that He was sovereign over the universe. Therefore, the rebuilding of the temple served to vindicate His name among the nations. The temple would also serve to gather the community together during this period, thus preparing the community and the nation for this suffering servant, this Messiah who would come. The call to rebuild the temple lies at the heart of God's plan to redeem His people. God was calling the people to to put a priority on His glory in their lives. Our passage this morning shows us clearly our need for Christ. Our need for a Messiah. Where we disobey God, Christ obeyed His Father perfectly. Where we seek our priorities, Christ always sought the will of God. Where we, quick, we, where we are quick to spend our time in selfish pursuits, Christ sacrificed His own life so that you could go free. As Jesus tells us in John 4.24, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Could this be said of us this morning? Probably not. Will you repent and go the way of Christ today and to trust in Him? How is it that we are to deal with this sinful desire, our self-serving desire, especially the desire to turn in the midst of discouraging circumstances? It seems it is in the midst of these discouraging times that we are so quick to turn from God to ourselves. Well, it's by trusting in Christ by trusting in the man who did not turn, but stayed committed to his Father. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, I wonder, what excuses do you have for neglecting God? Perhaps you're like the Israelites. You will get to it when there's time. The Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God, created to worship God. But we have all sinned by rebelling against our good and gracious Creator, We have separated ourselves from God by trying to run our lives our own way. This is what the Bible calls a sin. We display this desire most clearly by having our own set of priorities apart from God. By placing a premium on our own desires, our own priorities, rather than God's. Friend, you may not be guilty this morning of neglecting to build an ancient temple but you are guilty of neglecting God. Each one of us are guilty of this. And here's where the Bible is painfully clear. Your sinful rebellion has condemned you. And oh, how I wish and I pray 
you would heed this warning this morning. That you would change your priorities. That you would become aware of your neglect of God and turn to Him today. Christian, what are your excuses for neglecting God? What in your life has taken priority over serving God? Have you neglected God's church, God's people, God's congregation, like the ancient Israelites neglected the temple? Do you perhaps soothe yourselves with religious platitudes like these people did? When I get my life in order, then I'll get back to serving you. When I get my, back on my feet, you know, financially, then I'll start giving again. After college, Lord, let me just get through these difficult exams, these troubling midterms, then I will make time for you in my life. Once I have my family and children, then I will put a priority on you, God. After all, I want to raise my children right. I want them to be religious. Is that you this morning? What is it that is keeping you back from putting your all in Him? What excuses are distracting you from serving Him? God never promises to remove us from our difficult circumstances. Rather, He calls us to pursue Him in the midst of them. To trust Him. Difficult circumstances are not meant for you to retreat from God, but to entreat God. To pray to seek Him. Friend, don't allow your current circumstances. Don't allow them anymore to keep you from God. Stop making excuses for your neglect and start trusting in Him. The second thing the Lord told the Israelites was how misplaced priorities would lead to fruitless lives. He shows us clearly why our worldly labor will never leave us satisfied. Haggai provides two main priorities that we, uh, two main things we see uh, in this passage. But first, let's read it, beginning in verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who puts wages, earns wages, does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You have looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called on a drought, on the land and the hills, on the grain and the new wine, on the oil and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Haggai shows us how these misplaced priorities lead to fruitless lives. First, we see that worldly, godless pursuits only leave us wanting more. They never satisfy us. 
In verse 5, we see clearly that it is their worldly pursuits that has left them hungering for more. The Israelites have worked endlessly to satisfy their never-ending desire, but to no avail. They have labored to produce, but have nothing to show for it. It is clear that selfishness results in nothing. Do you believe that? That your selfish pursuits result in nothing? Consider your ways, God says. Look around you. Just look at the fruit of your life. These Israelites had chosen to invest themselves, but had nothing to show for it. God is being gracious towards them here. Do you see the grace of God in this passage? Look, he says, look at what your lives have come to without me. All of this provides a vivid picture of what life looks like without God. What a life in endless pursuit of happiness and success apart from God looks like. Does this describe your life? Does this phrase describe you? And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes? Does that resonate with your soul this morning? Does that speak to you this morning? Do you get a paycheck only to see it slip through your fingers? This is what it looked like to pursue a life without God. To invest in this world rather than in the one to come. I wonder, have you taken a serious look at your life? At the things that you are pursuing? I pray that you would take time to do this this morning. Perhaps this morning over lunch, you and your spouse can begin to discuss about what your worldly pursuits have produced. Think about that this morning. Are they bringing the returns that you desire in your life? Secondly, Haggai shows us in this section that in his kindness, God doesn't allow us to find ultimate satisfaction in this world. In his kindness, God doesn't allow us to find ultimate satisfaction in our worldly labors. In other words, misplaced priorities leads to discipline from the Lord. God was the ultimate reason for their fruitless lives. Look again at verse 9 with me. Do you see it clearly there? God says, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you, blew, when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Why? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Did you see it? God blew it away. God was the source of their ruin. They were running from God. They were choosing to run from Him. And God blew away their harvest. It was God who prevented them from producing that good harvest. It was God who prevented them from finding satisfaction in their worldly pursuits. Why? Because they had neglected God. The total loss of production wasn't because they weren't putting enough effort into it. No, clearly they were working hard. As verse 9 indicates, they were busying themselves. Literally, that word means that they were running. They were running after something. 
and they were pursuing it really hard and they were running hard after it. They were chasing their own priorities. The problem wasn't their effort, rather it was their priorities. All of their labor served to promote their own glory rather than the glory of God. And the question for you this morning isn't whether you're working hard. Each of us has been, have been working hard this morning. We've been working hard this week. We've been working hard our, own, our whole lives. The question is, are you working hard for God? Are you running after yourself, your own priorities, or are you pursuing God's priorities this morning? It's like a flower. If you seek to plant a flower, you go and you get good soil, and you get good seed, and you plant that seed, and then you water the seed, and you fertilize the soil, and you care for it, and you look after it, and you make sure that it gets sunlight, and you make sure if there's any, uh, any weeds in it, you get rid of those weeds, and, and if there's any dead limbs, you, you remove them, and, and you cultivate it. So with your life. Work as for the Lord. Seek His glory. Cultivate your time with Him. Pour your life into Him. And you will reap eternal fruit. What is it that you are running after this morning? I love this quote by John Piper, and I pray you just think about what he says here. It's short. There are no U-Hauls behind Hearses. Do you, I'll say that again. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. When's the last time you saw that? That would be a sight, wouldn't it? We don't see that because at the end of the day, you can't take any of your priorities with you. It is only when you seek to invest in another kingdom when you seek to invest in another world, a world you have not even seen before, a world your eyes have never seen, but a world that your heart longs to be in, where are you investing this morning? It was in His kindness that God didn't allow them to find satisfaction in their worldly labors. Their fruitless prosperity served to motivate them towards proper priorities. God ruined their lives because they left his life in his house in ruins. Do you hear that? God ruined their lives because they left his house in ruins. He used this drought in their lives to show the real need for him. They had neglected him, and he responded with loving discipline. As a loving father disciplines his children, so God lovingly disciplines us. Oh, this is the same truth that the author of Hebrews communicates to us in Hebrews 12.10. For they, earthly fathers, discipline us for a short time, as it seems best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It was for this purpose of holiness 
that God was disciplining His people. That God was preventing them from finding success in their worldly pursuit. God doesn't allow us to continue in our sinful rebellion. No, He stops us. He prevents us. He disciplines us. He keeps us from finding satisfaction in this world. And friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, I wonder, does this surprise you about God? Does this offend you? That God would discipline His children? That He wouldn't allow them to have success? This judgment of Him came in the form of fruitless lives. Does God's judgment of you, of your sin, leave you unsettled this morning? I pray that it does. I pray that you are unsettled by God's judgment on your sin. Because God is holy and just, He doesn't allow us to rebel forever. Because of our sinful rebellion, we have been condemned by God to face death and judgment. The drought that the Israelites faced was only a faint picture of what awaited them for their misplaced priorities. This drought in your life is only a faint picture of what God has awaiting for you because of your rebellion. Paul says it in this way in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What would they earn for their misplaced priorities? Death. And this is what each one of us deserve. But God in His amazing love for us, while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the man, Jesus Christ who is both fully man and fully God. Jesus lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to His Father. The life that you and I should have lived. Where we struggle to put God first, He always put His Father first. He didn't didn't seek His own priorities. He sought the priorities of His Father. Jesus then died crucified as a sacrifice to take the place that you and I should have been in. He died so that you could be forgiven. God then raised Him from the dead for our justification we read in the Bible. So that those who repent of their sins, turning from them and turning towards Him, trusting in Him alone for salvation, would be saved. Friend, this is the Christian Gospel. This is the message you're going to hear week in and week out as you come here. That's that's what we sing about. It's what we pray about. It's what we read in the Scriptures. And it's what this church is most about. And so if you're visiting with us this morning, that's what you're going to hear. And the question for you this morning is how will you respond to God's judgment of your sin? Will you trust in His only Son? Will you trust in the sinless life of Christ? Will you trust in His perfect sacrifice? Oh, I pray that you would repent this morning. I pray that you would believe in Him this morning. Apart from Christ, your life will remain fruitless. Oh, brother and sister, have you considered your ways? Have you given careful thought to the things you value most? The things that you are pursuing? Do you ever wonder why you're never truly satisfied in your work? Sure, there's a moment of satisfaction. You know, a job well done. But why is it that you are never satisfied? You're always pursuing more. 
I know I am. I know I'm tempted to do this. Perhaps you are as well. But does the feeling of satisfaction in your life ever last? If you were honest this morning, I think you would agree that godless pursuits are fruitless. I think if you were just to take a serious time to reflect on your own life, you would recognize that worldly, godless pursuits results in a fruitless life. You have nothing to show for it. Repent of your rebellion today and trust in Him. Lean on Him again. Put Him first in your life. Church, do we put a priority on building up the body of Christ? Or are we busying ourselves with our own priorities rather than the Lord's work? Are we more consumed with worldly pursuits that will only produce rotting fruit? Or are we committed to investing in projects that will last forever? Are we committed to seeing God's glory displayed among the nations through our local church? Are we investing ourselves in others to build them up? Or do we just see the church as a place where we are built up? I wonder, do you come with that motive week in and week out? Seeking to be filled, seeking to be built up? Friend, you're coming about it all wrong. You're not here to be built up. You're here to build up. That's why God has gathered us here today. To build one another up. Are we investing our time and resources Investing ourselves for the sake of the gospel? Are we leveraging all that we have for the sake of reaching those that don't have Christ? Misplaced priorities leads to fruitless lives. Quickly, third and finally, the Lord told them that their misplaced priorities must be changed. They must be changed because no amount of finely crafted excuses will ever satisfy God's judgment of their rebellious self-centeredness. Just 23 short days after first coming to them, oh, see it, brothers. See it, sisters, this morning. Just 23 days, the Israelites responded positively to the Lord's message, the Lord's conviction, the Lord's discipline of their sin. They turned from their rebellious ways and trusted in Him by resuming the work on the temple. Look with me in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of all the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius, the king. Well, notice with me three things about their change in priorities. First, their repentance was seen in their action. Did you see it? Did you see their action? The people didn't just say they were repentant. They showed their repentance by going and doing the Lord's work. They went, they gathered, and they worked. They abandoned their own self-centered priorities and put the Lord's work first in their lives. 
Oh, did you see that repentance is meant to be displayed? Second, their repentance was motivated by the fear of the Lord. What motivated them towards this change? Well, Haggai tells us that they feared God. God's discipline motivated the people, motivated the people towards proper priorities in their life. God used the difficulties they were facing around them to turn them upward towards him. This is how a loving God acts. He doesn't leave us in our sins. No, he uses difficulties in our lives to encourage us towards him. I wonder, how is God using difficulties in your life to turn you from your sinful rebellion towards him? Have you ever considered that the difficulty in your life is not meant to be prayed away, but it's meant for you to change. It's meant for you to turn from yourself and start trusting in Him. The most difficult trials in life are more about His sufficiency than your own discomfort. Third, their repentance was empowered by the Spirit of God. Did you catch the loving encouragement of the Lord? that he gave to his people? Look again at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Did you hear it? I am with you. God was showing them incredible grace in this passage. Did you hear it again? I am with you? In the midst of their rebellious self-centeredness, God comes to them not in a spirit of condemnation, but in a spirit of grace. He gives them these subtle words as a reminder of his promises to them. The I am. The I am who revealed himself to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The I am who revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses, who promised that he would be their God and he would be their people. They would be his people. That is what they heard when he said, I am with you. In this short phrase, God reassures his people of his ancient promises to them. That he would be their God. That he would never leave them. That despite their deplorable situations, despite the horrible economy around them, God hadn't forgotten the promises to them. That God gave His Word for their eternal benefit. That the messenger of God, the Word of God was sent for their fruit and for their eternal benefit. As one author says, the Lord works repentance in the souls of sinners. He stirs us up. This is what happens when God's presence enters the lives of his people. This is the point of Haggai's message to the people. They needed to change their priorities. They needed to abandon their own remodeling projects and take up a more long-lasting work of rebuilding the temple. They changed their priorities from inward to upward. If you're not a Christian, how do you answer these questions this morning? How is it that you are going to answer these questions concerning your priorities? Will you repent of your neglect of your Creator? Will you turn to Him today? 
Friend, your presence here this morning is a sign of God's grace in your life because you have heard the message this morning. You have heard of God's grace, His good gospel. My question, will you repent of your sins and turn towards Him today? Christian, what changes in your priorities do you need to make? How can you tangibly make God first in your life? Jesus died so that you could make God first in your life. Perhaps you need to put God first in your home. Or maybe it's in your work. There you need to put a priority on God. Perhaps you've been neglecting your family. Maybe you need to put a priority on loving your wife. We're caring for your children, loving them, showing your care and compassion. Friend, God isn't calling you to draw up a list of priorities where He's on the top of the list. Throw those lists away. God is not meant to only be first in your life. He is meant to be preeminent in your life. That is, you are to love God You are to serve Him and make Him a priority by caring for your family, by loving your children, by sacrificially giving of yourself to your spouse, by loving the local church and brothers and sisters in Christ. Put a premium on your time spent with God today. Use your days off or the Lord's day for what it's meant to spend time with the Lord in prayer and reading Scripture. These are tangible ways that you can put Him first in your life tangible ways where you can begin to say, God, no, you are preeminent over everything I do. In all that I do, I seek your glory. I seek your fame in my life. Love your spouse. Care for your children. And sacrificially serve others. These things are all examples of putting God first in your life. Church, are we ready to change our priorities today? I mean, let's just pause and think. Are we ready to be serious about this gospel we claim to believe? To think of biblical ways of living as a light of the gospel in this community? To make the right sacrifices, to make the right priorities in our ministries, in our budgets, in our conversations, in the way we love and care for others? How are you and I placing a priority on building up the body of Christ today. Maybe I challenge you to this. Can you be challenged with something? Challenged to maybe look over our members' role? To look at where the widows and widowers are? Maybe care for them this week? Take them out for a cup of coffee? Go over and just spend some time with them? Maybe look up and see where the single mothers are and and maybe encourage them by helping them with their children or just spending time with them and, and encouraging them and praying for them. Can I encourage you to love one another? Invite each other into your homes. Share meals together. Make it a priority to live lives together. Folks, this isn't a gathering of individuals this morning. This is a gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ who have a Savior they believe in, a common Lord who bled and died for their sins. Brothers and sisters, the blood of Christ that's on you is the same that's on the one next to you. And so act like it. Serve one another. Look, if you come here to serve, to be served, you've come and you've come for the wrong reasons. And you've come serving the wrong Lord. Because our Lord came not to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life. How can you give your life today for the church? How can you sacrifice and leverage all that you have for his kingdom? We've seen this morning that life circumstances make horribly poor excuses for neglecting God. And that misplaced priorities leads to fruitless lives. My prayer this morning is that each of us will take a serious look, a serious assessment, and look into our lives and see what changes need to happen with our priorities. Turn from your self-centeredness this morning to a life filled with and focused on God. Repent and put God first in your life. I'll leave you this morning with the words of Christ as He spoke to a peculiar group. A group of housewives and farmers. Fishermen and, fishermen and day laborers. People just like you and me. He spoke to them in this sermon on a mountain. And He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Put a priority on God today. Let's pray. Oh Father, gracious Lord and Creator of the heavens and earth, we come this morning in great need of You. Father, will You stir in our hearts towards change, towards honest repentance, by making You first in our lives. Father, I pray this morning that we would see that our circumstances, whether good or bad in life, are poor excuses for neglecting You, Father. I pray, Father, that You would help us see this truth. That You, Father, would just help open our eyes. Take the scales from our eyes this morning that we can see the fruitlessness of our lives. That we can see the, the, that our lives are producing nothing. And Father, I pray that You would help us to make some serious changes. Oh, change is hard, Father. It is so difficult. We need Your Spirit. And so, Father, I pray as You stirred up the remnant of Your people, as You stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, as You stirred up the spirit of Joshua the high priest, as You stirred up the spirit of Your people, stir our spirits this morning that we would put Your kingdom first, that we would praise You, that we would seek Your glory. Father, Your name, Your glory would shine forth in our lives to every tribe, tongue, and nation in this world. Oh, Father, leverage us for this sake, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you